Welcome back, friends. Lost Scarf here, and it's time for the newest Kirby's Dreamcast. Here we talk about everything from Kirby, from the games, to the people behind Kirby, to the show Kirby Right Back At You, and just so much more. This podcast main through line, though, is talking about the anime Kirby Right Back At You, because there's 100 episodes, so it keeps a normalcy pace to the show. And today, though, we're going to be talking about Kirby's Dreamland, which is why this episode's called Episode 10.5. So everything that's not the anime will be .5s, and I figure we'll, like, reprint later or rename later them as like 101, 102, just so it's got a better count going instead of just 0.5s in the middle. And the reason why we're doing 0.5s instead of like going like episode 11 is because if we do that, then when we do the next episode of the anime, which is episode 11, it'll get confusing where 11's on 12 instead of on 11. So that's why we're doing it like this. Another thing is we have a Twitter called at Kirby Dreamcast. There we're going to have tweets for whenever the new podcast comes out and uh, just reoccurring tweets for the old episodes just so people know about it. You can even ask questions that would be really cool as well. Or just talk about the podcast. So, we're going to talk about Kirby's Dreamland. And so, I want to do this in four parts. And it's only going to be this one four parts, and we'll see how we do the other ones. But the way I want to do it is the history of Hal up to Kirby's Dreamland. So, everything with Hal, because Hal develops Kirby up until the game. Then the development of the game itself, so the development of Kirby's Dreamland. The reception of Kirby's Dreamland. And then the final section is about the game itself. And you know what I like to do with these podcasts? I like to tell you about, like, when we do the anime episodes, I tell you about the episode and everything, and tell you all the interesting things from it, and it's going to be the same thing here. I'm going to tell you about Kirby's Dreamland and a bunch of interesting facts about it. And there's just so much to talk about with the history and everything. It's just so much to go, and I just want to talk about it all because it's all so interesting, and I'm sure you'll find it fascinating as well. So, here we go. First up is Section 1, The History of HAL Laboratory. So they were founded in February 21st of 1980. And the name founder is Mitsuhio Ikeda. It was a group of five tech enthusiasts who came together to form this company. So their name is actually coming from the fact they wanted to be one step ahead of IBM. So the letter before I is H, letter before B is A, and the letter before M is L. So that's what the whole idea was. And that's it. Some people thought it came from 2001 Space Odyssey, but no, it comes from wanting to be ahead of IBM, which is a funny origin right there. A cool thing is the legendary... Satoru Iwata was there from the start, but he was going to college at the time, so he wasn't a full member. He was a part-time member, and once he graduated in 1982, then he became a full-time member. And during this whole time, he was their only programmer. As part-time and as full-time, he was their only programmer at the time. And he said he didn't just do programming, he was also doing design, he was also marketing. He was doing a lot of things for the company, because it was only five people. And the first games the company made were for computers, so they were doing like MSX, the Apple II, and the Commodore 64. By the way, Kirby's first game won't come out until 1992, so 12 years of gaming history right there before Kirby shows up. And if I did the counts correctly on all this, Kirby is actually the 69th game. They made 68 games before Kirby showed up. And then after that, there have been like, what, 30, 40 games? With the majority being Kirby. So it's interesting to see that they were just so much variety, they did so many things, because this is the time when games were just first coming up. So they did, they did so much, and then Kirby shows up, and then they've just done so much Kirby after that. But it hasn't only been Kirby, of course. And by the way, most of the information I have is from Japan, so there's a lot of translation stuff going on. And I try to look at different sources and double-check different sources and everything, so I get the dates right and get the times right and everything. And I'm just doing the best I can with just a bunch of different sources, making sure there's not too much inconsistency, trying to find as much consistency as possible for all the things going on here. But the games they made before Kirby came out were sports games for the most part. So you had, like, golf, pool, bowling racing games, pinball, but they also made clones. They made quite a few clones, and the, the big one to note is they made a Pac-Man clone. 
This one got, of course, taken down by the owners of Pac-Man, and it's because they were, what they were doing, because they were enthusiasts, it was, they were making games, but they are also, like, experimenting and trying to recreate things to understand them. Like, they were enthusiasts. So they were just deconstructing and reconstructing a lot of things, and they tried to make money doing it, and one of them was Pac-Man clone, which, not a good idea, but luckily they didn't, you know, get killed because of that. But now let's focus on Nintendo specifically with HAL, and how HAL became owned under Nintendo. So fresh out of school, Satoru Iwata wanted to make games with Nintendo. So under HAL, he personally went to Nintendo and asked them to let him make games for them. And this was in 1982, right after he graduated. So Nintendo gave him a task. Create Joust for the Famicom in three months. They got the license for it with Atari, and he actually completed it in two months. Here's the thing, if you don't know who Satoru Iwata is, Iwata is kind of an amazing legend, and if we ever go for an episode specifically about him, it's incredible. But just know this, Iwata was a member from the start with HAL, and he was an amazing programmer, and he did a great many things in his life. And he was impressive from the start. Nintendo was impressed with his skills. He did really well, he made Joust in two months when they get asked for three, and the thing about Joust is, I want to count it as their first game, and I will, because Joust was developed in 1982, but because of legal problems with Atari, the game actually doesn't come out until 1986. He did other games with them, like Pinball, which was actually developed and finished in 1984, and other games like Golf and F1 Race. So these other ones could be considered, one of them could be the first one, but Joust is officially the first one he did in my book, although it came out four years later. But he made a bunch of games for Nintendo, and the president of Nintendo, Hiroshi Yamaguchi, was impressed with Iwata. He just did so well under them, programming so many games for them as a HAL employee, and so they, they liked him so much, they made HAL second-party developers for Nintendo. They put in money for that, and this actually got Iwata promoted to development manager of HAL. The next thing they had Iwata work on, well, it's HAL, but it's Iwata, was Balloon Fight. And Iwata is so good at programming is, he actually made the game run smoother on the Famicom than it did in the arcade. And this is the early ages. Arcades were a lot more powerful than consoles back then. They were amazing. They usually ran better. But in this instance... The console ran better, which is, that is just, that just puts him in a whole different level right there. It was actually so good that the programming for Balloon Fight was used for the water levels of Super Mario Brothers. And by the way, the Super Mario Brothers developer, the legendary Shigeru Miyamoto himself, saw Iwata as a rival. But over the years, they become friends and colleagues. So that's cool right there. Like, this dude's a legend, and this dude's a legend. Everyone knows who Miyamoto is because of Mario. But Iwata worked on a lot of things and he's worthy of legendary status as well. One more thing I want to mention at this point is the Agerland series. We know it as the Adventures of Lolo in the West, and these, the first game came out on MSX, and the other games would come out on the Famicom and the NES. Mentioning Agerland because it'll be significant later, and also because it is Lolo and La 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 in these games. But Lolo and La 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 are going to show up in Kirby's Dreamland, but they're also in the anime as well, so that's why I'm mentioning that. Their first Game Boy game, by the way, was Gator Pinball. I actually own this game, it was a pretty fun pinball game. But near the end of the 80s, HAL got very ambitious. A little too ambitious, and this would result in their downfall. A lot of companies, they'll, they'll just grow too much, too fast, and then they, they just fall. They get too far in debt and they fall. Just, it's kind of like just a stream train, they're trying to keep it going, and then they just blow it and then they go into ruin. A more recent example would be like THQ. That'd be a more recent example of what happened here. So HAL got too ambitious. They had 90 employees by the end of the 80s. They built a new headquarters, and they were just incredibly ambitious with their two newest games. And they would be Metal Slater Glory and Hyperzone. So, Metal Slater Glory took four years to develop for the NES. 
and it was extremely ambitious. It, they spent a lot of money and time to make it the most technologically advanced NES game ever, but it was really expensive, and I want to see just some of the details here. It had almost a megabyte of data, which made it the largest game for the Famicom. They were using the MMC5 chip, which gave them really good parallax scrolling capabilities, which is unfortunately very expensive, and they could only get so many of them from Nintendo. It's really weird what happened here. Iwata himself, looking back, says it was just a lot of management mistakes that happened here, and one of them was the SNES comes out, came out in the 1990s, Glory comes out in 1991 on the NES. They wanted to see if they could put it on the Super Famicom instead of the NES, because that would give them more room and more power. But in the end, management decided, no, they were going to do it on the NES. They also spent money to make a manga for this game, because they couldn't fit the opening sequence in the NES thing, even with that one megabyte data. And also the MMC5 chip. This chip is going to get used later on for Super Mario Bros. 3 by Nintendo, so they can only give so many of that chip to HAL at a good cost. And so that also hurt them as well, where they could only make so many of that game. So they put a ton of money into this thing, they could only sell so many of them, and this game in 1991 flopped. It flopped hard. It really hurt them. And like I said, it came out in 1991, Super Nintendo was in 1990. But it wasn't the only game they made. They also made Hyperzone. And Hyperzone used the, the Super FX chip that gave them the 3D acceleration view that you get from like Star Fox and F-Zero. And unfortunately, that game also did not do very well. And so in the end, because of all that, they were 1.5 billion yen in debt. In 1991, HAL Laboratory was 1.5 billion yen in debt. So this should be the death of HAL. That should be it. Now remember, Kirby comes out in 1992. So 1991, HAL is in the death throes, but Nintendo swoops in and doesn't let it happen. The president of Nintendo himself, he's like, nope, buy HAL Laboratories, we're going to take all their debt, they'll owe us the money, we'll own the company. And then he made Iwata the president of HAL. Iwata was 32 years old at this point. 32 years old, he's a great programmer, and they want him to lead a company. And it's up to him to figure it out, because he was just so impressive to Nintendo's president, they figured he could do it. And actually, he pulls it off. In six years, with 250 million yen payment a year, Iwata is able to pay it off in six years. From the brink of destruction to being able to pay off all that money, he pulls it off in six years. And we know exactly what was a big player in that. We really do. So let's talk about that. So part two, the development of Tinkle Popo. If you didn't know, that was the name of the development title for Kirby before it became Kirby. Matsuhiro Sakurai joined HAL in 1989. He joined when he was only 19 years old, and Kirby's the first game he worked on, and I guess he was really impressive because, for straight up, he's making a game already. He shows up and he's already making a game. The idea was to develop an easy-to-pick-up-and-play game, and Kirby's Dreamland really is. It's a good game to just pick up and play, very easy, very simple. It was a platformer because it was popular at the time, and as they developed the game and the abilities and everything, they had a placeholder character, and it was just this round ball. And it's, well, it's Kirby. That's what it is. Just this round ball placeholder and they developed abilities to just suck and blow, to jump, to fly, all those things, while they just have this placeholder there. That's what happened. He was just placeholder. It's just, like, if you had, like, paperclip as, as your thing, that's what it was. And over the course of development, the team got close to this placeholder, and eventually they scrapped what they were working on for the protagonist, and Kirby becomes the hero we know and love. His name originally was Popopo. He was going to be the parallel of King Dedede, the antagonist. But instead, they gave him the name Kirby to honor an American lawyer named John J. Kirby Jr. 
And Mr. Kirby represented Nintendo in a court dispute with Universal Studios over Donkey Kong. They went after Nintendo because they argued that Donkey Kong was lifted from King Kong. In the end, he was able to win the case for Nintendo, and they gave him a $30,000 sailboat named Donkey Kong. And probably the greater honor is they named Kirby after him. So that's pretty awesome right there. One thing about Kirby is he was supposed to be... This is a fact everyone knows, I think. Everyone just keeps hearing this fact. That is, Kirby was supposed to be pink from the start with Sakurai. Sakurai's mind, Kirby's pink from the start. Miyamoto figured he should be yellow, like that's the color he thought of. But in the end, Kirby is the pink that we know. And we see yellow usually as the second player because of that. But in the US, they marketed him as white because the Game Boy didn't have color back then. So they're like, he's white. So you see that in like the cover image for Kirby in the US is white. And in the manual, he's white. All that stuff is a white Kirby. One last thing I want to note, though, is the composer is Jun Ishikawa, and he's done all the soundtracks for the Kirby games all the way up to... He's the composer of Kirby Star Allies. He's been composing Kirby for this entire time. He's just always composing him, so you have him to thank for the majority of the songs. They have other people at times, but he did, like... He's just been the composer for most of it. It's amazing. Just one guy's been making so much good music and remixes of such good music as well. Now, here's an interesting thing. Before Tinko Popo came out, it had 26,000 orders. And Iwata felt the game had great potential and thought it should have more orders than this. He really thought there should be more to this than what they have. So he actually went to Miyamoto for advice. And Miyamoto suggested a name change, which resulted in Kirby of the Stars, which is the name in Japanese. And for us, it would be Kirby's Dreamland. And he said they should have Nintendo publish it instead of HAL self-publishing. This is a tough decision right here. Because they go under Nintendo's name instead of their own, Nintendo gets a cut of the profits, which they're trying to pay them back for. But also, Nintendo does have a far-reaching name than Hal does. But he'd have to personally cancel 26,000 orders. So that's something to consider. But in the end, he decided with Miyamoto's plan. The Hal Company, though, they were alarmed that the president was doing this. Like, he should reconsider that. But Hal was convinced in his belief that Miyamoto's advice would work out because Miyamoto's just pretty dang good, too. And he believed in Kirby, and we know what came next. So, section three, reception. Kirby's Dream Land blew the hell up. Kirby's Dream Land released on April 27th, 1992 in Japan and on August 1st, 1992 in the US. That's where I got it for one of my birthdays. My birthday present was a Game Boy and Kirby, and loved it ever since. So I've loved Kirby for... Damn, I am old. 26 years. Been a big fan of Kirby for 26 years. Holy crap. Now here's some things to know about Kirby. It was the 17th highest reviewed game in Game Boy history. It would also become one of the best-selling games of all time at 11th place, behind Pokemon games and Mario. But if you don't count Game Boy Color, because they count that in the list, Kirby hits 8th place, just as Game Boy games. Random fact, though, just because I saw it, Tetris is the best-selling Game Boy game of all time at 35 million copies. Pokemon Red, Blue, and Green are second combined at 31.8 million copies. Kirby only sits at 5.1 million copies today, but that is a lot of money right there, especially when you consider what, the sh what they were selling just a couple years from there. Here's the important thing, because of course this is for the debt repay. Kirby would sell 1.3 million copies by the 28th of May, 1995. Kirby is a huge seller for Hal, and definitely helped out when it comes to paying the debt off. So in three years, Kirby made Hal and Nintendo a whole lot of money. And Kirby's Adventure for the NES would also be a best-selling game on the NES, but we'll talk about it when we get to that game episode, but they also helped with paying off the debt as well. Kirby was just... Kirby saved Hal for the most part. Like, there's other games that helped out, but you know dang well Kirby carried the weight. So with all that history out of the way and just so much interesting stuff, we're going to now talk about Kirby's Dreamland, also known as Kirby of the Stars. 
And of course, for me, this is a huge nostalgia trip. I This is the first Kirby game. This is the first Game Boy game I ever played, and there's so much nostalgia to it. And I'll be even-handed as best I can, but I just love this game because it is the first one. And from the start to the finish, I enjoy it a lot. Like, the game is very simple, and it's perfect for kids to play. I was six years old, I think. Yeah, I was around six years old I, I was when I played this game. That's perfect for a little kid to play. Simple platformer. All you can do is eat things, spit them back out. You can swallow them. You can fly. And you got a good curve of difficulty to this game. And it's just really fun. It's very cute. The music's really good. And there's also gunship levels. If you didn't know this, there's gunship levels in this. Like, there's always been some gunship stuff in the Kirby games. And it was there from the start. But it, they have done less and less with it in, in a lot of games. But it's always been there from the start. And the cool thing about these games are, of course, when you beat them, there's the extra mode that makes the game even harder. And then once you do all that and you 100% the game, there's config mode where you get to see just everything about the game. Which is pretty cool. And that was all from the start. That's the thing that surprised me is... All these things were there the first time, and I forgot all about them. So I went back and played the original Kirby's Dream Land. I recorded all of it. It's all on the side channel. Just search Scarf Plays and Kirby's Dream Land on YouTube. You should find the side channel to get all that. We'll probably have the link in the description if you're on the YouTube version of this podcast as well. And it was a short and easy game, but it was pretty good. It really was. And for a kid, it's going to be a good length because they're going to have some trials and stuff, and they're going to eventually get it done. And it's, for me, I beat it in an hour when I re-recorded this whole thing. But for like a kid, it's going to take a bit more effort to it, and it's going to take a while to get there. But it's the start of the, the argument that's always been made against the Kirby games. It's too easy. And the thing is, the first version's always too easy, then you got the extra mode, which is always a harder version, which is more challenging. But here's the thing, from the start, Kirby's Dreamland had a score mode. And that's always been the thing. It's not always about just beating the game, it's also about scoring really well. And Kirby's Dreamland understood that. So even if the game's easy, there's a lot of challenge to get just the best score, or to do things without getting hurt and things like that, like a hardcore mode, which are so popular these days. Kirby had that from the beginning, and that is impressive. But let's get deeper into the game itself. So, first thing up, I gotta give you the description of the game from the game manual itself. This is just nostalgia for me, I, I love this so much. Let me read it to you right now. So, back in the day, because how things are now, uh, not a lot of dialogue or storytelling was in the games themselves unless they were RPGs, so you had the game manual to tell you this stuff. So here's what the game manual says. Kirby to the rescue. On a tiny star somewhere far, far away from Earth, there is a very special place known as Dreamland. The Dreamlanders are very happy people who use their magical sparkling stars to play and work among the heavens. That is until one dark night when the gluttonous King Dedede and his rotten band of thieves swoop down from neighboring Mount Dedede for a midnight snack. Not only did they steal all their food, but they stole the Dreamlanders' treasured sparkling stars as well. Because the Dreamlanders didn't have the sparkling stars to gather food anymore, they began to get very hungry. Suddenly, a spry little boy named Kirby happened along and said, Don't worry, I'll get your food and your sparkling stars back. And with these words, Kirby set off on his quest toward the dreaded Mount Dedede, and we wish him luck. So yeah, Kirby can talk. This is an older Kirby. He's not the same little baby as you see in the anime. Kirby has the ability to talk, and he can think. And he totally understands he is murdering a lot of people along this game, because he kills a lot of DDD's people on the way in this game. Like, Kirby is just a fully functioning uh, young boy. That's what he is. So that's the manual. So let's talk about the game itself. So the opening screen of this game is the title, and you hear the original song, and a parade of Kirby's are on the screen. And it's just kind of cool. You just you see your character that you're going to be playing as, and there's a bunch of them on the screen. And he does a bunch of different actions, and they're pretty cute and cool. And I like this title. I just really like it a lot. The thing is, this song is something that doesn't get carried over into the future. That's something I noticed and realized is you don't actually hear this song anymore. 
the opening theme song for Kirby, you hear uh, Green Greens, you hear Found of Dreams, you hear Gourmet Race, you hear Revenge of the Midnight, you hear King Unity's song, you hear a bunch of these old songs into the now, but this song didn't carry over. And I always wondered why, but it's just, uh, maybe it's just a song of its time, where it's a kind of a nice song, but it's not as catchy as the other songs. And, well, I liked it. <laughs> Something as well, just real quick note is, when you play the original Kirby games, you can see Sakurai's design here carry over into Super Smash Brothers as well. Like the score and classic mode with that and like the soundtrack mode and all that stuff. You can see it carry over from here to there. And it's just a cool thing, just looking at the past, how many years it's been to how many years now, and just seeing oh, what has been refined and what has been kept and things like that. But at title screen, you get the first level. There are only five levels. And the first level is... Green greens and the cool thing is you get a shoot a little short before each level and they're pretty cute and funny And the first one is Kirby is chasing after a butterfly and he gets blown away by a bunch of butterflies Which is pretty cute right there and nice thing is the manual actually has a description for each level So I'm gonna read the manual again. So here is level one. Oh, by the way when you read the manual for the game Kirby explains everything in the manual and so instead of saying in something like when you press the B button I'll do this when you press the A button. I'll do this like that's it's such a nice manual. I miss manuals, and it's just a really good one. So here's Kirby describing the first level, and that is, Green Greens is Nature's Trail of Badness. A great place to start your journey. This natural setting is full of rolling hills, fleecy clouds, and bushy trees. But don't let the scenery distract you, because while the animals may look cute and friendly, they can be very troublesome and dangerous. So let's talk about the level. So in this level, we get a lot of the classic stuff here and a lot of classic enemies. The boss of the whole thing's gonna be Wispy Woods. But there's other enemies like we're going to see the Waddle Dees and Waddle Dees right at the start here. And we're running to Poppy Bros Jr. and Sr. You're under Brunt Bert. That's the ball with wings. And that guy's in like a lot of the games of Kirby. The Cappies are here too. That's the Mushroom People. There's a bird named Twizzy, which I don't remember any other ones. And then there's the bear named Grizzle, which has shown up in later Kirby games as well. And each level has a sub-boss. In this one, it's Poppy Bros Sr. He throws bomb at you. You catch in your mouth and shoot it right back at him. He tries to ram you and take you out. And that's what happens there. But there's also some items that we will see over the years. There's the Pet Brew, which you see also in Smash Brothers. There's the Warp Stars. There's the Maxim Tomato. Funny thing is, the U.S. version, they couldn't tell it was a tomato. So they call it the Bag of Magic Food. They just couldn't tell it was a tomato. It's kind of funny. So this level is introducing to a lot of things we see going down the line into the future. It's crazy. Just how much has been around from the start for so many years. And like I said, the big boss is Whispy Woods. And in that fight... He attacks Kirby with apples, gordos, and breath shots. And Kirby actually can't hurt him with the breath shots back, because Kirby can actually breathe breath shots at enemies and kill them, but not to bosses. So you can only beat him by sucking up apples and shooting them back at him. And eventually when you do, you make Wispy Woods cry, <laughs> and Kirby beats him, and he takes the sparkling star from Wispy Woods, so I guess King Gigi gave one to him. Kirby takes it, and he does the triple dance, which as far as I know has never been explained ever. It's never been explained why Kirby can turn into multiple Kirbys and dance with himself, but he can. It's just a thing you do. That's always been a thing. I don't think it's ever been explained. And it's just, I love that. Like, it's, it's, your, it's your Final Fantasy song. It's... Like, it's like victory song. That's, that's something that just sticks forever. And there's just so much right there. And there's the funny thing. Green Greens is in so many Kirby games. And Wispy Woods is in so many Kirby games. And we never get tired of it. I never get tired of fighting Wispy Woods. It's always fun seeing the new things they do with him. It's interesting that because another community has something similar, and that is the Sonic community. 
They always have to start out in the green, in Emerald Hills. And that community hates it. But I've noticed with our community, with the Kirby community, everyone I talk to, they love Green Greens and they love fighting Wispy Woods again and again. So it's just interesting seeing the difference in fandoms. So the second stage is Castle Lolalo, and the short here is Kirby sneezes, and he comes to Stars the Fall. He sneezes again, and a star hits him on the head, and it bonks him off the castle, which is just funny and cute. So the manual description is this. Stage 2, Castle Lolalo. Plenty of strange things await you in this castle. One step inside this spooky castle, and you'll know that something weird is going on. You have to be careful here, because some of the nasties that float around here can't be beat just by inhaling them. The not-so-famous twins, Lolalo and La La La, rule this castle of gloom. So that is the second stage right there, and that is the bosses are Lolalo and La La La. Right at the start, Kirby encounters Broom Hatter, and this is... They got the hat, they got the broom, and of course later on Kirby's gonna eat them, and he'll get the broom ability in later games. But for now, he can just eat them and they just die. And right at the start, you're gonna find the microphone, and this is the trip. I didn't know the microphone was in this. I forgot about the microphone. When Kirby uses the microphone, it causes a horrible screech that kills everything on screen. And this gets evolved over time, of course, with later games. And he's going to be in the anime as well. And it's really cute when Kirby uses mic ability in the anime. Oh, like, I, it's, there's so much, my favorite moments, besides a lot of other moments, is Kirby with the microphone, because he just looks so happy trying to sing with that thing. And just great times. But other enemies in the stage, you're going to see Waddle Dee and Waddle Dee in, like, every stage. And there's some other enemies here, but Kirby also runs into some spookier ones. So there's a bunch of ghosts and bats, and the ghosts are Booler, Hurley, and Mumbies. There's a bat named Flapper. <laughs> yep, Flapper. There's also a Two-Faced enemy. This is the enemy that Kirby can't suck up. You have to beat it in a different way, uh, not, at least not immediately. And you actually get introduced to the first water level, and that is going to have these little sea enemy guys called Glunk. And water levels in this one, Kirby cannot suck underwater. I don't think he's ever been able to suck underwater, but he doesn't have his water punch ability just yet. So Kirby actually can't do anything underwater. If you go into balloon form and you go on the water, you just float on the top, which is great because that makes perfect sense. There's another interaction with it, and I'll mention that when we get to there. But so, you got another variety of enemies here, and only a few of these have I ever seen in other Kirby games. And that would be like Two-Face, I know I've seen him, and Glunk. Everything else, I don't think we've ever seen them again. At least I can't remember right now. Maybe in an adventure, but not in anything else. At least not from memory, but playing through these games again, we'll see. Another thing that's pretty interesting is, uh, you actually get introduced to Candy in this one. I didn't know it was actually just called Candy, and Candy is basically the star from Super Mario Brothers. You grab the candy, you're invincible, you kill everything, and it's got that classic song. That's pretty cool there. But there's another thing I forgot about. Spicy food. I forgot spicy food was in this thing. So whenever Kirby picks up spicy food, he can breathe fire. And if you run into water, he loses the ability. But for a while, you got the fire ability, and you're just spitting fire to everything. It's got its own song, which is pretty cool. And just blasting things with fire breath. And this does carry over into Smash Brothers. That's what the spicy curry is. This is the precursor of the spicy curry. That's an item from Kirby into Smash Brothers. And of course, Sakurai made it, so no surprise right there. So the sub-boss you run into in this stage is Lolo himself. And I remember I mentioned Agerland, that's why I mentioned it. Because Lolo is in this game, but he's an antagonist. Which is interesting to see. Agerland, they had like six or eight games for Agerland. It's Lolo and La La La, and eventually they actually have a kid together... And he's the hero, but in this, he's the enemy, and Kirby will kill him. But in the first instance, you defeat him and he runs away. What happens is he throws boxes at Kirby, and then you beat him and he just leaves. And then later on, you run into him again for the final boss fight, and in this fight, it's La 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 and Lolo pushing boxes along corridors trying to crush Kirby. Kirby sucks up the boxes and hits them with the boxes right back, and then they explode. <laughs> 
This is a funny thing to see, though, because that was the main mechanic of the Agerland games was pushing things around to solve puzzles and defeat enemies. That is what they did in those games, because they were pushing puzzler games. So it's interesting to see them be enemies here, and their heroes in past HAL games, and then, of course, be allies again in the Kirby anime. But, of course, Lolo and La 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 do get replaced by these two furry guys whose names I don't remember. You see them star allies in other games, and they do the pushing in the corridors now. And there's no Lolo and La 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 at all. I think it's just they just decided to stop making them antagonists, but they're not allies either. They're just gone, which is a shame, because they're a part of Hal's history. But Kirby defeats him and gets the second sparkling star. So with two stars in hand, he heads over to the Float Islands. So in Kirby Superstar, when they remade the original game, because that one has a bunch of games in it, they merged Castle Lolo with the Float Islands. And so the opener here is Kirby catches a fish and then sucks it up with the fishing pole still attached to the fish. So he gets a hook in his mouth. And so he's pulling the hook out and it's stuck in his mouth. And that's actually a very ouch moment, seeing what a hook can do to people in reality. But for Kirby, it's, you know, played for laughs and everything. And this is the opener you get in Superstar instead of the sneezing uh, star one, if I remember correctly. And yeah, it's interesting they combine these two levels. I, maybe it's because of just space for Superstar, or they just didn't want to have the gun section. Because the final boss of this one is an airship fight when Kirby goes into balloon form and he fights a blimp with a cannon. And I guess they just cut this part out because of that thing right there. They didn't want to have it there. That's the only guess I've got. Maybe we'll find out when we cover Kirby Superstar. But because he's on an island this time, he's fighting more water-based enemies. And real quick, I should read the description from the manual before I forget. Stage 3 Float Islands? This is definitely not a resort paradise. This may look like an island paradise lined with palm trees, but don't expect to have a relaxing time here. You have to watch your step as you island hop, or you could end up falling into its ocean. Kubla will have you scrambling to dodge her constant attack of cannonballs. That's what I just mentioned, that's the, that's the blimp with the cannon. So, a bunch of water enemies, you run into Blipper the Fish, who is still around. Blipper the Fish, you'll see them in a lot of Kirby games. You see them in Star Allies. They're that big fish with the freaking swimming goggles, which has always been a funny look. They're in there. You got Squishy the Squid, which we've seen again in multiple games. Coner the Snail, Where's the Oyster, and Kaboo. Yep, Kaboo's here. But in this one, instead of being this giant Moai head kind of thing, who's a seer, in this it's a bunch of smaller ones that spin around and float around and can actually teleport. They just throw themselves at Kirby to be attackers. There's also cannons, and I didn't know this. The cannons are named Shotzo, and they shoot cannonballs at Kirby. There's also exploding coconuts, because why not? So Kirby has a lot of things to watch out for in this level. It's pretty difficult a little bit when you're unfamiliar, but once you know what you're doing, you're all right. And the waddles are here, as always. And what's interesting here is this one doesn't have a sub-boss. The level's actually pretty quick, and I think that's another reason why it got combined with Castle Lolo, is it's not a very long level. There are secrets you can find... That's a cool thing as well, as the game did have secrets, so for kids who were more exploratory, they could find secrets and get, like, one-ups and things like that. And that's what happens there, and eventually Kirby gets into a warp star, and it takes him to a whale's blowhole, so Kirby on his adventure gets into a bunch of different just situations, and this one he gets stuck in a whale's blowhole, and gets actually blasted into the heavens! And up there, Kirby picks up the mint leaf, which is an item I completely forgot about as well. I actually don't know if the mint leaf gets used again. It gives Kirby the ability to rapid-fire his breath shots, because he's in just complete balloon form. He's only in balloon form, and it's all for this boss fight. So, you're in the sky as Blimp Kirby, or Balloon Kirby, however you want to put it, and you're going to shoot constant shots of your air breath attack, while Kubla is this freaking Blimp flying around, shooting cannonballs at you, and also ramming at you. This is actually not an easy fight at all, until you get familiar with it, because 
it comes at you fast. But eventually you blow up Kubla and you take him out, you get the star, and now you've got three stars with Kirby. And then it's off to the fourth stage, which is the bubbly clouds. And this is going to be the introduction of Parasol Waddle Dees and Waddle Doos, which is my favorite ability of all time, is the Parasol. I don't know why, but it's my favorite. And we're also going to see the longtime enemy of Kirby, Krako. And this starting short is kind of curious because what happens is Kirby falls into a cloud, and there's a rumble, and then a dozen Kirbys come out of it, and the star comes out for some reason. I have no idea what's going on there. I really don't. And here's the description from the manual. Bubbly Cloud. The Kingdom of Clouds. You won't find a clear path through these uh, soft, billowy clouds. By hiding in the clouds, King Dedede's bullies will find a way to surprise you when you least expect it. The boss Krako is lightning fast. You'll have to keep moving and keep a clear head in order to beat him. And this stage is pretty big. There's a lot going on here. A lot of flying around. A lot of clearing through blocks and enemies just to get to things. And you're like flying through the stars and stuff. A lot happens here. It's pretty cool. For some reason, Kirby's just up in the stars in this fight in the, in the bubbly clouds kingdom. So the enemies Kirby runs into here and most of them you don't, you're not going to see again. You run into Puffy, Dizzy, and Kukler. They're all three flyers and they try to kill Kirby. You don't really see them again as far as I can remember. Then there's Sir Kibble and Scarfy. So Scarfy is the floating orange thing with the ears, and if Kirby tries to suck it, they get really angry and they, f they suicide bomb Kirby. They explode. Very dangerous. And then there's Sir Kibble, which is the helmet-looking dude who throws that boomerang blade at you. So he's been here from the start, and he's all the way up to Star Allies. He's an enemy in every single game, as far as I can remember. And he, of course, gives Cutter Kirby ability. But of course, that's not a thing yet in the original Kirby's Dreamland. And then you run into the sub-boss, which is a weaker form of Krako, where he only got a couple clouds on him, and he flies at Kirby, shoots cannonballs at Kirby, and he spawns Waddle-Doos. And this is something interesting that I don't have an answer to. I've always wondered, are Waddle-Doos, like, lesser Krakos, just because they both have one giant eye? Or are Waddle-Doos, like, what? Like, he can just make Waddle-Doos? Do Waddle-Doos evolve into Krakos? Is, is Krako the king of the Waddle-Doos? What's that relationship going on there? In the anime, we're going to see that Waddle Doo is the leader of the Waddle Dees, like a single Waddle Doo is, but we don't really know what the hierarchy is. Kirby has a lot of lore and a lot of unexplained things as well. It's interesting how that all works out. But in this case, I don't really know what the relationship between Krakow and the Waddle Doos is. But in this one, you're just fighting a very mean cloud, and eventually you defeat him, and then you go to even more levels, you're flying around with Kirby a bunch, and then you fight the full-on Krakow. And this form is using lightning, he's shooting lightning at you, he's flying at you really hard and fast, and he can do some real good damage with that, and he's spawning more Waddle Doos. Because this is the only way to hurt Krakow in both forms, is the Waddle Doos. You suck them up and spit them right back out at him. But Kirby eventually, in the end, blows up the cloud. And with four stars, he goes to the final stage, which is Mount Dedede. And the short is great, because it's him flying on, on his warp star, and he crashes through the castle wall, just breaks right in there. And then he crashes inside and lands on the ground. And in front of him are four doors with an image of each boss in front of the doors. There's a description for the level. Mount Dedede. King Dedede and his crew are waiting on this mystical mountain. King Dedede heard you were coming and he has called for all the stage bosses to return to Mount Dedede to protect him. This is going to be your toughest battle yet. But if you've come this far, you mustn't give up. Remember the people of Dreamland are counting on you. It's interesting. Kirby blows up every boss. He kills them all. And yet they reappear, so I guess Kirby just makes them disappear instead of killing them. That's an unexplained thing. Because <laughs> yeah, the bosses come back. I think Mega Man is the first game to do this, where you have to fight every boss before the final fight. 
but I could be wrong about that. But it's the earliest instance I can think of. Mega Man is before Kirby by a couple of years. But that's what you do here. But what's interesting is when you go through each door, you do a short level. And you do that short level, and then you find a copy of Kirby, which opens up a door to the boss fight. I don't know why Kirby's finding copies of himself to move forward. I've never learned why it is. It's funny seeing the copy Kirby's, though. They do interesting things. I've never learned why it is, and looking into it, I still don't have an answer to it. I don't know why he does it, why there are copies, but there are... He's, Kirby's finding himself to get to the next boss. That's, that's all I got. And so he faces off against each boss, he beats them, and then it's time for the final fight, which is against King Dedede. And you get that classic song. The song that's always played for King Dedede, which is a memorable song, a song I really like. You get it here, the original version of it, and King Dedede versus Kirby, and they face off. In a ring, by the way. Like, it's a freaking ring. It's pretty cool. And King Dedede has a lot of moves. He has the ability to run over and just, just bum-rush Kirby. He can try to suck up Kirby and spit him out, which hurts Kirby pretty bad. He tries to hit him with a hammer. He can jump into the air and swing his hammer at him. He can jump into the air and land and try to crush Kirby that way. King Dedede just has a lot of tools to use against Kirby. But the way Kirby fights back is when King Dedede lands from his big jump attack, and when he hits the hammer on the ground is, it leaves a star behind for a few moments for Kirby to suck up and shoot back at King Dedede. And that's how you beat him. It takes a long time because he's got a lot of HP, but eventually Kirby defeats King Dedede, and when he blasts him with the star, it hits King Dedede out of the castle, like through the walls of the castle, which I assume are brick or concrete or something, or stone, whatever, and he gets blasted out of the castle, and you get a far shot seeing him get blasted way far away. He gets blasted off pretty far. And with the five sparkling stars in Kirby's possession, Kirby uses them to become a giant balloon Kirby, and he carries the castle with him all the way back to the Citizens of Dreamland. And him floating away to the Citizens of Dreamland is when the credits roll. And because this is the early time there's not so many people, I'm going to read off the credits. And here's all the people who worked on the game. That is, the director and chief designer was Masahiro Sakurai, the chief programmer was Kyohei Miyabi, the programmer was Sunday Rain, and this is believed to be Satoru Iwata. This right here is believed to be Satoru Iwata because the understanding was Iwata put in a lot of work into programming Kirby, but he's actually not in the credits. And the best guess is that this is him. Because the other ones are named people. They had GDV programmers Mami Preko and Tetsuya Notoya, designer Mogami Karand, composer Jun Ishikawa, special thanks to Bubby and Cypher. I've looked into who these two are, I have no clue. I've, I've looked around. No idea. Another thing, by the way, Sunday Rain this is the only credit ever for Sunday Rain. So if if it is something Satori Wada used, he used a different name for other ones where he programmed didn't get a credit for them. Other places officially do have Satori Wada as the programmer of Kirby Dreamland. So Sunday Rain is the best guess as it being him and not Bubby or Cypher. The supervisor was uh, Boo Nakajima, and the producer was Makoto Kunai, and they also credit players, us, who played the game as producers of the game as well. And they also say thank you for playing as always, which has always been a nice touch with the old games. And at the end, Kirby untransforms and falls to the ground with the five stars holding the castle up and food's dropping out of the castle. And Kirby lands on a stage and he holds up a sign that says bye-bye with a bunch of people cheering him. And you can't tell what they are. When I was a kid, I assumed these were other Kirbys just cheering Kirby on. But they could be Waddles as well. There's no way to tell because it's a from behind shot and they look kind of roundish. And it could be any of them. Because you only see the, like, the tops of them. And that is the game right there. After that, we get to see King Dedede land to the ground. He gets angry and runs off. 
and you're shown that if you press A, up, and select at the title screen, you get the extra game. An extra game is the same levels, but they're harder. There's new enemies who hit even harder, they're rougher to deal with, the bosses have more attack patterns to them, and they, they hit even harder, Kirby takes more damage in general, but the lucky thing is you do get unlimited continues in this game. So you can fight through it all, it's just going to be a tough effort for a little bit. I had some tough trouble, but eventually I got through it. And thing is, for the extra enemies, I've never seen them in any other game besides this one. I'm not really going to name them off, but they're there. And King Dedej is just an even rougher fight. But when you beat him again, there's a new end screen after the credits. First up, after the credits, they show you the name of every enemy in the game. So that's pretty cool right there. And then you see King Dedede land again. And he hits the ground, he falls back, and he's just on the ground knocked out. Kirby shows up and wakes him up. And then Kirby goes on guard because he's not sure what King Dedede is going to do. And King Dedede actually cries. He straight up cries and Kirby feels bad about it. Then King Dedede just walks away sad and Kirby follows after him. And that's the end of just the game right there. That's the complete end. That is everything. On the screen you see it say you're our hero and it gives you... Uh, the information that if you hit B down and select on the title screen, you get config mode, which allows you to adjust HP to go up and down. You can give yourself one HP if you want, and you can choose how many lives, like zero lives as well. So you can super hardcore this game if you want. And something that's been around forever, the sound test mode, where you can play every single song and every single sound effect. And Kirby's also wearing headphones in this as well. So that's a look that's always been around since the start. Kirby wearing headphones has always been around. I'm actually curious, though, if um, every single game has Kirby with headphones, because if I remember correctly, Superstar has Kirby in a composer outfit instead, if I remember correctly there. And an interesting thing is sometimes there are Easter eggs in the sound test, and also in Smash Brothers as well. If you, if you look for it, you can find Easter eggs in sound tests usually. Um, f- starting from, I believe, Triple Deluxe, some of the songs are in red, and that shows you that these are made specifically by Jun Ishikawa, and that's an interesting way to credit him. But in Smash Brothers, in some of the sound tests, you can actually get conversations from characters in them. There's actually a Star Fox conversation, I believe, in 64 or in Melee, if I remember correctly. So if you pour through everything with these Kirby games, there's just a lot of just random Easter eggs you can find as well. And in Smash Brothers, if you didn't know that. So that's everything about Kirby's Dreamland. If there's any other facts that I somehow missed, or if you actually know the reason behind some of the things I could not find the reason behind... Please let me know on the Kirby Twitter of Kirby Dreamcast or on the YouTube version of this podcast. It would be great to know that stuff because the goal of this podcast is to just know everything. And I've done so much research. I put so many hours into this thing and I just couldn't find everything. I looked. There's a chance it's only in Japanese or that information just isn't known at all because it's just, it was so long ago and it was maybe some in, in thing with those special credits and things like that. But I just have no idea on some of the information, so it'd be great to know. So the game was, of course, like I said before, criticized being too easy, but just like all Kirby games, Extra Mode gives you a lot of content, a lot more to do, and it's just great. These Kirby games, it it started something. It started a standard with the Kirby games with Hal and Sakurai as well, and that is you get the game itself, but you always get extra content, and then they just give you more, and then there's the sound test. They've always given you a lot with these games. There's always a lot of content, and that's what makes the Kirby games so great. They're cute, they're fun, they're easy to play, they're very accessible, and they give you a lot of it, and it never gets boring. That's what I like so much. I'm not bored with this. I enjoy it so much, I'm happy with it. And this is what started everything. This is what started the whole Kirby train, right here. I'm so happy I'm talking about it, I'm happy you get to hear about it, and I hope you find it really interesting. And if you really did, 
like give it to other people who you know love Kirby so they can learn all these interesting facts too. I want us to just know all the interesting stuff. It's so cool, especially when we get into the deep lore in the later games. The lore gets so deep and crazy and there's so much to pour through. That'll be awesome to talk about and I can't wait for that. Oh, I forgot one more thing. The, the continue screen. So when Kirby gets beat, if you lose with Kirby, there's continue and, uh, and quitting. And the thing is, there's a hand there. I think it's Master Hand. I think Master Hand's been here from the start. Because it's just a single hand. You pick continue, the hand pokes Kirby to wake him up and sends him on his way. And if you do not hit continue, if you go for the quit, the finger actually flicks Kirby off the screen. I think it's Master Hand. I am convinced it's Master Hand. He's been here from the beginning. Funny thing is, in Kirby Superstar, if you decide to quit, Master Hand actually grabs Kirby, he's sleeping, and he puts him in bed and tucks him in. That's what he does. It's just so cute. Like, in the original, Master Hand's mean, but later on, he's just a bit nicer. So that was a long podcast and a lot of talking. Next time we do one of these, it'll be the history of how between Dreamland and Adventure, which won't be long because it's only, it's only a year between the two games. The development of Adventure, the reception of Adventure, and talking about the game itself. And when the games get more complex and longer, we'll cover them differently than I'm covered Kirby's Dreamland because they'll just be too much to pour over in the play-by-play and have to be just poured over in just the more interesting things or an overview of the levels, of like the, the worlds kind of thing. We'll see how I cover them going forward. But so that right there is the podcast. We currently can be found on YouTube and on Podbean and we'll eventually be on other platforms. The main advantage to watching on YouTube instead of listening is that we have visuals on the screen. There's going to be plenty of gameplay of visuals on the screen for this one. And hopefully, though, I did a good job describing the game so that YouTube isn't a requirement. I love doing this podcast. It's great talking about Kirby and interesting facts and bringing them to you, the listeners. And I had fun talking, and I hope you had fun listening and maybe watching. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks for coming by, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.